of our midweek uh, sermon that we began last week, uh, titled, Are You Ready? And that is the ultimate question tonight, both to Christian and non-Christian alike, are you ready? And uh, so I'm going to ask you, if you will, to open back up uh, to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We came out of Revelation 16 last week. We spoke about this topic of um, a thief in the night. And the theme about being ready uh, comes along with the idea of, of people who have taught uh, that we cannot know uh, necessarily the time in which the Lord is prepared to come back and take his bride home. Again, like I said before, uh, we're not going to know, we don't know the day nor the hour. No one knows it but the Father in heaven, okay? So by indication alone, when Christ was on this earth, when he uh, said those words, uh, he didn't know himself. And there's a good chance, I only believe he knows now. This is part that, the, that God the Father himself knows, and he's going to say one day, go get your bride. And that's important for us to understand uh, in our life. And I know that goes to some, uh, some theological, uh, not debates necessarily, but theological teachings on uh, between the positions of the Trinity and how they apply and how they work in cohesiveness, how they are all three, but one, and, and so on and so on. So last week we spoke about a day of concern. And so when we get into 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, again, we're on the foothills of First um, Thessalonians chapter 4, obviously, where Paul ends the chapter uh, with speaking about the rapture, okay? Uh, I know the word rapture is not in the Bible. The definition of it is, and uh, we know that with a shout and the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive remain shall be caught up together, okay? That is verse 17 of chapter 4. Uh, that word rapture means caught up, uh, to catch away or to literally snatch away. That's why we use the word rapture. We use the title rapture because of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and in verse 17. So as we get into chapter 5, it opens up with the word but, okay? The reason of Paul writing back to the Thessalonians was to correct some of the false teachings that the Judaizers had taught them. Again, these were date claimers, and they were scaring everybody to death, as we have seen so many cults. I talked about one last week, but most of the time, if not all the time, cults will revolve around naming a date. The God is coming back now. Jesus Christ is coming back now. Uh, this particular deity is coming back now. He's on the backside of the Hellbop comic. I don't know if you guys remember that back in 96, was it? 96, 97, uh, the Hellbop comic. You had an entire cult in California, the land of fruit and nuts, who committed mass suicide because uh, they believed that their God was on the backside of the Hellbop comet, and as he was to pass over them, he was going to gather them all up, Okay. Uh, they, this is how cults began. They began by claiming dates so that you sell all that you have, typically to them or to their benefit, okay? And they've named this date, and you're shaken, and you're afraid. We see that specifically in uh, 2 Thessalonians, where Paul tells them in chapter 2, verse 2, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit or by word nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand, Okay? So there's a direct, a direct um, uh, onslaught against the validity of the Word of God with people falsifying Paul's letter saying, the day of Christ, the rapture is just about to happen. And so this day of concern, as we spoke about last week, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, we'll have a quick less than three-minute review. 
verses 1 and 2, guys, if you write in your Bibles, which I suggest that you should do, okay? Uh, my Bible is full of notes. I keep it full of notes. I made new notes there today. I do that because uh, sometimes I can't read the old notes, and I figure it out, and I figure I'll write it down a little clearer, amen? But nonetheless, verses 1 and 2 says, But of the times and of the seasons, brethren. Now let me stop you for a second. The word but, okay, is there. Where is the, what is the word but referring to? The three verses just above it, okay, which is the end of chapter 4, which is what? Talking about the rapture, the catching away of the bride of Christ. So he says, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, who is he speaking to? The church, saved, born-again individuals. Ye have no need that arrive to you, for yourselves to know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night, okay? Now that right there links in with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and in verse 8. So if you write in your Bibles, you can do a little bracket or underscore there, verses 1 and 2, and you can write the word pretext, pretext, okay? Even though it is a subtext to the first, for the last three and four verses of chapter 4, it is a pretext of the topic that is coming in chapter 5, all right? Pretext. And we get into verse 3, and verses th- verse 3 is where we find the context of our pretext. Verse 3 says, For when they... Uh, shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So if we look at the day of concern, as we looked at last week, we understand that when we look at verse 3, the they and the them is referring to unbelievers, lost people. Paul says they, okay? They were not of us because they went out, went out from us, okay? First John chapter 2. All right, so they, you're talking about, they, and this is the people in the tribulation period prior to the second coming, uh, which obviously is uh, seven years after the catching away of the church. So that was the day of concern, all right? That is the pretext that we looked at last week in order for us to jump into where we're going to be tonight. But I want you to circle in your Bibles, they and them, uh, verse, uh, verse 3, they and them, you'll see in the front end, the back end, and the right in the middle, uh, that is referring to lost people. When the context of the second coming of Christ is dealt with, Paul is referring to they. Why? Because they, okay, are the ones who are going to suffer the wrath of God during that period of time. We have no need uh, that he write of the times and the seasons of the second coming to us. Why? Because we're not going to be here, all right? We're coming back with the Lord during the second coming. We're up and out of here seven years prior to that. So that gets us in tonight. To this next point we want to look at, we want to look at the day of Christ. What is the next thing on the timetable in prophecy for the church? The next thing in our world today, as we see a great falling away, we see apostate church, we see uh, the rise of demonic activity, we see all kinds of things that are going on in the world today, just like it did in the previous times of devastation, okay, when other massive events happen, we see them happening now, and we'll look at that here a little later on tonight. So the day of Christ. So the first thing we're going to look at here is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and in verse 4. So on the foothills, if you will, in the context of the scripture, we see in verse 4, but ye, okay, you want to circle that in your Bible or underscore it, that is referring to saved individuals. If you need further proof of that, look at the very next word. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief, all right? Here is the portent. That day is, again, a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period. Why shall that day not overtake us as a thief in the night? Because we're not here. 
That's why Paul said in the very front end of the times and the seasons, I don't need to write to you. You know. You already know that we're not going to. I've already taught this before. Just taught it in the chapter before. Paul writes back the second letter says, man, I, he reminds them, didn't I teach you these things when I was with you? You know, he gets a little bit of rebuke. I saw a quote the other day that if, if Paul was alive today as a church, we'd be getting a letter from him. Amen? I mean, we would, you know. So he writes that second letter back to, Thessalon, to, to the church of Thessalonica, and he says, guys, listen, why are you so sh soon shaken? I've taught you these things, and if you're receiving a letter, even if it's falsely signed by me and it goes against what I taught you when I was there, that letter's wrong, amen. All right? And so Paul was very clear in those statements. So the day that is referred to the second coming, the day of Christ, guys, is, um, will overtake the children of the darkness, not the children of light. Do you understand that? But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. So that day is not going to overtake the children of light as a thief, because they're not going to be here. But of the children of the darkness, it's going to overtake them as a thief in the night. Why? We see in verse 3, because they're running around saying, peace and safety, peace and safety, peace and safety. Everything's wonderful. Everything's great. We got this, this world leader here. We pledged our allegiance to him. We can buy and sell and get gain. We can do all these different things. We can be married and given in marriage and all of this. And then, boom, there comes the second coming of Christ. You understand? It's going to overtake because they're not looking, okay? And we're going to see one of the reasons why we, as the children of light, should not, well, number one, we know doctrinally we won't be there. But even the idea of Christ coming as a thief, even the idea of us not expecting to rapture the church should be foreign to the Bible believer today. The doctrine of the imminency of Jesus Christ should be locked and loaded on your heart, okay? And we'll see that here in just a moment as we get into our message, okay? I want you to hold your place there in 1 Thessalonians. Go back a couple pages, and let's go to the, the, to the book of uh, Philippians. We're going to look in Philippians in chapter 1. Philippians in chapter 1 tonight. All right, so this is what we want to look at. Again, that day in reference to 1 Thessalonians 5 is talking about the second coming of Christ. All right, that doesn't affect us. Again, I know I'm repeating myself. It doesn't affect us because we are not on the earth. We are coming back with the Lord, the armies of heaven. But in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6, Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy. Uh, he says, for your, uh, your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, watch this, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. All right, so we're talking about the day of Christ now. So here's what Paul is saying to the church of Philippi. First off, I thank, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now, that's a very small verse. I heard an entire funeral preached on that verse one time, and it was spectacular in Palacious, Texas. It was wonderful. A dear friend of mine was preaching the, uh, the funeral of his wife, and he opened with that verse. And I thought, wow, that's powerful. But that, it's the only church Paul ever says that to. Because the church of Philippi is the only, only church that wasn't rebuked by Paul when he wrote the latter, you understand? So I'm saying that to make this point here. He speaks about this day of Christ. He's saying, I have confidence that whatever the Lord started in you, He started this great work in you, He's going to continue and fulfill that work until a end. There is an end. There is a time frame when He's finished with our work on this earth, and that is the day of Christ. Look in uh, verse 10 of our same chapter. Paul says that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense. Watch this. Here's the time limit. 
till the day of Christ. Okay? Another important aspect that we're given, that we are given a time frame. We're given a limit here, okay? Look in chapter 2, verse 16. We see some of the same thing. Chapter 2 and verse 16 says, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Now, what is Paul talking about in chapter 2, verse 16? He is speaking about the day when believers, when those who are part of the church, born-again believers, shall give an account of what they have done in, watch this, this body. Okay? Now, many people have misconstrued the idea of the judgment seat of Christ, that it talks about the, what, what have you done in the body of Christ. Okay? Well, I tell you what, guys, if the only thing I've ever done is inside the body of Christ, I'm a failure. If I'm not working outside of the body of Christ, if I'm not working outside of the, the four walls of this church and trying to win people to the Lord Jesus Christ, if I'm not trying, hey, guys, listen, that, that's the greatest failure of the mission field today, locally and globally. It's church home, church home, church home. The greatest failure, do you understand? So that body is what you have right here. That's, you're going to give an account of what you do in this body. All right, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, yeah? Well, we see this 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, and in verse uh, 12, the Bible tells us, it says, Now if any man build upon this foundation, that's, that's from a verse before, talking about the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort, it is. If any man's work abide, of which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So, I, have, I know I have preached and taught this on the wood, hay, stubble, the gold, silver, precious stones uh, in, in our church here multiple times. Uh, but for the sake of repetition tonight, to ingrain it into your, your brain this evening, we're going to review it real quick. So the foundation that you build, what you're going to give an account for as you stand in front of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to give an account for your sins. That's, that's cleansed. He has separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. They've been dropped into the sea of God's forgetfulness. Okay, They're done and dusted. But you're going to give an account for the works that you've done in the body that he's given you. And it's either going to be gold, silver, precious stone. Gold is a picture of Christ's deity. So every time and any time that you have witnessed, that you have worked, you have labored as uh, teaching and preaching and witnessing uh, Jesus Christ as God. What does Romans chapter uh, 10 tell us? <coughs> Verse 9, that is thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. The first step, the first stage of a person being saved and born again is confessing, okay? Agreeing with Jesus Christ that he is God. And, have, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is the simplicity of salvation, okay? The simplicity of salvation right there in Dun and Dustin. So every time we have worked and labored to teach and preach and to exalt the deity of Christ as God that lays gold upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Silver, when we have witnessed and, and worked and labored of his price of redemption, he was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. So every time we witness that precious sacrifice, what Jesus Christ went through, that he willingly laid down his life for us, that we may be saved. He said, I, you know, no man take it from me, but I lay it down. If I lay it down, I take it up again. One of my favorite verses and comments that Jesus Christ makes to Pontius Pilate, he says, man, listen, I'm going to lay it down. You're not taking it. You don't have any power unless it's given to you from above. He says, but if I lay it down, 
I'm going to take it back, okay? That's the silver laid upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And that's what you build upon when you witness that sacrificial gift that Jesus Christ has given. I think of Tim Tebow when we... Um, we mentioned him several weeks ago, uh, back in, I think it was 2008, 2009, he wore the eye black. He put John 3.16 on there. And if I remember correctly, it was 90 million searches on Google, on Google, 90 million internet searches of John 3.16. Did you know the first time he did that, he was blown, you know what he was blown away at? He was blown away at the fact that that many people did not know what John 3.16 was. Not that he had touched that many people, not that he had reached that many people, but the simple fact of, you mean to tell me, I think it may have, it may have been 82, anywhere, anywhere, 82 to 90 million people in the world watching college football, which let's be honest, guys, the bulk of those, if not all of them, would have been in America, especially in that time, collegiate football and, uh, in the late 2000s, most of those watchers would have been in America, and they would have been Googling, what in the world's John 3 High? How in the world can that happen? Well, it's very easy how it can happen because the church ain't done its job, okay? So every time, I, I, that's, that's 90 million, if you will, pieces of silver laid down on the foundation of Christ or Tim Tebow in a four-hour period when they played their football game, all right? Now, the other thing is this, precious stones, it says. Throughout the Word of God, precious jewels or stones or gems uh, they're likened unto human souls. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above what? Rubies, Proverbs 31.10. All right? So it's likened to that. So every part that you have played, be it through witnesses of someone leading them to Christ, praying diligently and fervently for them, dropping a track into the door, just whatever part you've played in bringing a soul to the Lord Jesus Christ, many of which you may never have met, that is a precious jewel laid upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, out of all that material there, what do you make out of it? You make a crown, amen? You make a crown, yeah? And those crowns are going to be laid before Jesus' feet um, after the judgment seat of Christ. But the other three elements that you find there that you're going to be tried on is wood, hay, and stubble. Now, what are those? Well, wood is a dead tree. Hay is dead grass. Stubble is, is leftover dead straw, okay? And what happens when you drop a match to any of those things? It goes up in smoke. And so that's what he's saying there when he, when he says that, uh, that if any man's works shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So in other words, uh, your salvation is sealed. You're not going to lose your salvation, okay? But you're going to suffer loss. Now remember, we've taught this time and time and time again. You should know it by heart now. There's two times uh, after the rapture that the Bible says, and he wiped away all the, all the tears, okay? Both of those times are after a judgment seat. After the judgment seat of Christ, tears are wiped away in heaven. And after the, the great white throne judgment, tears are wiped away in heaven where the lost are judged. Do you understand? I'm saying all that to really to make this point here this evening, uh, guys, that there is a work to be done, a work that we need to do, that we are commanded and called to do until the day of Christ. There is a time limit that we have. So we go back, are you ready? If you are ready tonight, you are working and laboring for this job to be done. You are working and laboring for this ministry to be performed. You are working and laboring to see that there is gold, silver, and precious stones laid down on the foundation of Jesus Christ so that some soul may come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that your, your works are not dead works. What is a dead work? Anything you do for your glory. Now, guys, you may be the greatest preacher, the greatest missionary, the greatest uh, uh, preachers, whatever. You may be all of those things. But if you're doing it for your glory, you're doing nothing but stacking wood, man. That's all you're doing. If you're out there, you know, you know, doing it for the, 
doing it for the social media we see today. I get it. I, under, I understand. Trust me. As missionaries, we really understand about having to let churches know what we're doing. And, we, and you need to do that. And you want people to be praying. Guys, I'm all for it. Praise God. You see that we do it. You know, we send posts out so people will see them. Hey, look at what's going on. We have activity going on. Ministries going on. People, you know, hey, those are all great, wonderful things. They should do them. But if you're doing it for your own fame, you're just stacking wood, Jack. And when a match is laid to it, it's going to go up in smoke. Now, your heart, your mind, your fleshly carnal thoughts right now is telling you, yeah, but at least I'll be saved. That ain't going to work, big boy, over the other side. That ain't going to work at the judgment seat of Christ. Because the only thing that's going to matter at the judgment seat of Christ is not what fun you had down here on earth. The only thing that's going to matter at the judgment seat of Christ is what you've done for Jesus Christ. And that's going to be your mindset that day. It's not going to be how many friends I had and how many followers I had and, and, you know, hey, we had a great time here, there, and in the year. It ain't any of those things. About how balanced my life was. No, sir. What's going to matter that day is what you haven't done for Christ. I'm convinced in all of my heart today that we are going to see what jewels we could have had. I believe that we're going to see what crowns we could have had. And I believe that's where the suffering loss and the tears are going to be found. Now, the Bible says here of what sort it is. Now, people uh, get confused on that sort, but Paul answers it in the second letter to Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. These correlate one with another. Chapter 3 of, of 1 Corinthians and chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. That everyone may receive the things done in his body. Oh, you mean it's not a global, universal? No, his body. It's personal. Amen. According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So we all must stand. Everyone is going to stand. There's not going to, and you know what's not going to be an excuse that day? Well, preacher, I did my time. No, you didn't. I had an individual tell me the other day that they, uh, they, they scrubbed toilets for five years. They've done their time. I said, no, you haven't. You ain't done your time. You ain't done your time here. You know what I'm saying? It don't work like that. You know, there is no time until Christ comes back. That's what it is tonight. If, you, if your mindset is that, guys, then, well, you're in, you're, in the wrong, you're in the wrong boat. I can tell you that much. So there's the day of Christ. That's the time limit that we have. The question you have to ask yourself today, are you ready? Are you ready? The day of Christ to come. So there's a day to come that we need to look at here. Go back with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians, just a couple of pages to your right. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 5 and 6, and again, this is going to kind of nail it down to really understand where we are. Now, mind you, I could have preached this message 27, 28 years ago when I first started preaching, and uh, it'd still be applicable then, okay? Forget Y2K, I'm not talking about that, you know? There's a lot of guys when Y2K didn't pan out the way they thought it was. They started putting their rapture messages, their prophetical messages this way. I said, no, nah, you need to hold on to those things, amen? Everything's going to, you hold on to them because everything still applies. No matter what time and era that this sermon is preached, it is going to be applicable solely because of the doctrine of the imminency of Jesus Christ. So as we look in verses 5 and 6 in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, the Bible says, Ye are the children of light. And the children of the day, we are not the children of night nor darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Who are sleeping? Number one, the lost are sleeping, okay? 
All right. The Bible tells us that we were dead in trespasses and sin in the book of Ephesians. The Bible tells us that we were quickened. What does quicken mean? It means bring to life. Okay? So the Bible uses the word sleep many a time. Remember Lazarus when Jesus Christ said, you know, he sleepeth. And the other guys are like, oh, that's a good thing, man. He's taking a nap. He goes, nah, he's dead, man. You know, so that, a lot of times the word sleep is used uh, as for death. The children of darkness are dead. They're, they are dead in trespasses and sin. The flip side of that is many do sleep as they are not watching and they're not sober-minded today. You see, my friend, the Lord's return in the air, and I'm talking about in the air, is imminent. And we need to take that on board this evening because that is the overwhelming question. Are you ready? Or are you just sitting back resting on your leaves? Are you just sitting back thinking somebody's going to do it for you? Okay? I can't, guys, I can't earn rewards for you. And you can't earn, it's not a multi-marketing plan. You can't earn them from me. That's my job. I have not done my time. I have not done enough, nor will I ever do enough until the day of Christ happens. Amen? So it, it's, listen, the Lord's return of the air should not take the believer as a quote-unquote thief of the night. I know the thief of the night is referred to the second coming. We are the children of light and not the children of darkness. The second coming is not going to take us as a thief of the night because we're not going to be here, but it is going to take the lost as a thief of the night, the children of darkness, because they are lost. But the Bible tells us, here's the commandment. Watch and be sober. You should be looking for it. You should be expecting it. And I'm not talking about an overabundance of expectation where you do nothing and stand in a field like this, like the cultists do. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being busy for the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 24 uh, tells us in verse 36, But of that day and hour uh, no man knoweth, but, uh, uh, no man knoweth, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now that word knoweth is a verb. It's a, uh, it's, it's a verb when applied to AD 29, uh, no man would have known. Also the application of a day and hour may not ever be possible here Today, and again, I, I, I don't believe that. I don't believe in my mind that we're ever going to lock it down to a day or an hour. I don't believe that in my, in my life. But the times and the seasons may. We're told to, be, to watch and to be sober. And that means that we're watching with expectation. Why? Because what's going on around us and because of the word that we believe. There's a roadmap that we know of an Israeli-Palestinian uh, uh, peace treaty that has been in effect, uh, been in work for, for decades on end. There were multitudes of treaties that are already written. When the Antichrist shows up, guys, he doesn't have to, according to Daniel 9, he doesn't have to create a treaty there. He just has to confirm it. They're all written, guys. They're all there. So the, the Lord has given us an examples of what it's going to be like in the coming of that day. I'm going to ask you to turn over the book of Luke with me and go to Luke 17. And uh, i got uh, quite a bit of turning for you, so I'm going to ask you to be expedient tonight in getting to the Scriptures. We're going to be in Luke 17, then we're going to be in the book of Genesis in a, about four or five verses there, uh, maybe six, and then we'll come back to Luke before we close this evening. But I want to show you two verses here in Luke 17. Two verses in Luke 17. Look in verse 26. And then look in verse 28. Luke 17 in verse 26 says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. All right? Now let's go over to verse 28. Likewise, that's referring to verse 26. Likewise also, uh, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat and they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, 
they build it, okay? But the same day that Lot went in, and we'll get to that verse in just a moment. So now if the days, now if the days of Noah and the days of Lot are both pictures of society in which uh, the days of the, uh, the church can recognize of Christ's soon return, then we, all we have to do is go and look at the warnings that were given in both of those days. And thankfully, we have a perfectly preserved, purified, uh, inspired Word of God where we can go back and we can find those days. So turn with me. Hold your place there in Luke 17. We'll come back there in just a moment. Turn over to Genesis and chapter 6. Genesis and chapter 6. So hold your place in Luke. Go to Genesis 6, and we'll skip over to Genesis 19 as well in just a moment. A handful of verses, guys, and then we will be finished. So all we've got to do is look at the warnings that were present in the days of these men. Okay, So first off, we find that God foretold the number of years until judgment. He said this is what it's going to be like, right? Genesis chapter 6 and in verse 13. Genesis chapter 6, I'm sorry, not verse 13, verse 3. Genesis 6 and verse 3 says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. So a biblical year is 360 days, and all you got to do is do the math. This is the day that, uh, that God gave the proclamation to Noah Man's days from this moment forward is going to be 120 years. So 120 times 360, that's how many days mankind has. So God foretold, he foretold uh, the number of years until judgment. Look over in Genesis 19, and there look with me in verse 13, just the first part. Just the first part there. Verse 13, and hold your finger in 6, we'll go back. You may have got another finger stuck over in Luke. So... Verse 13 tells us, for, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So here's the warning, okay? The warning. We know that's the angels, the two men who came into Sodom uh, that night uh, to find Lot. Okay, that's the days of Lot. This is the days of Noah. So in both events, God foretold the destruction. He foretold what was going to happen, the number of years unto judgment, okay? So not only did he do that for both men, as in the days of Noah and as in the days of Lot, he also revealed the way of salvation. This is vitally important. So in Genesis chapter 6, uh, uh, again, we see in uh, Genesis chapter 6, now look down in verse 14, all right? And again, if you make notes in your Bible, just put a bracket out to the side and you write in the way of salvation. Verse 14, the Lord says, and Make thee an art of gopher wood. Rooms shall thou make in the, in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without. Pitch is tar. So in other words, he's making it water sealable. He's making, you know, uh, impregnable, if you will. All right, now go back to Genesis 19, holding your place there in Genesis 6. Genesis 19 and verse 15. Genesis 19, verse 15 says, And when the morning arose, uh, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. Okay? So that's verse 15. So here we go. We got a, a judgment for both times. Make a, a, uh, here's a, a way of salvation for both. So not only did God give the way of salvation, but lastly, guys, God gave an exact date and time of when that judgment was going to fall. All right? So go back to Genesis chapter 7 now. Genesis chapter 7. And in verse 10, 
Bible says in verse 10, it says, And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. And it came to pass after seven days. Now, when we did our, when we did our Bible study years ago, uh, the first 2,000 years and beyond, we, we chronicalized, if you will, all the way up to that flood. 1,996 years it was before the flood dropped the hammer on the earth. We looked at that throughout the book of Genesis. We calculated those dates, those times. We had it right down to where it is. And we had a guy named Methuselah, okay? All right, remember Methuselah, that's Enoch's son, all right? His, you know, and so, uh, or, yeah, Enoch's son or daddy, one of the two. Anyway, um, so Methuselah is the oldest living man to ever live on the earth, right? And his name means on the day of his death, the water shall fall. It had never rained a day on this earth. You had a canopy of water around the earth at that time. You had the deep that was underneath, both of which broke up, okay, and flooded the earth. That's the Noachian flood. The day that Methuselah died, and I believe literally the moment he died, the waters arose. The flood came. Okay? So... God revealed the way of salvation. God gave the number of years until judgment. He gave an exact day. Go back over to Genesis chapter uh, 19 with me. Genesis in chapter 19. So not only did he do it with Noah, but he did it with Lot as well. Genesis 19, it will begin in verse uh, 17, then we'll skip down a few verses. The Bible says here, And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay uh, thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest thou be consumed. Skip down to verse 24 and 25. We know that, that, uh, that Lot made a little bit of a bargain to go into this little city. Uh, verse 24 says, And the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. Okay? And um, so judgment has came, all right? So when we go back to Luke 17 in comparison, if you will, Luke 17 in comparison of the days of Noah and the days of Lot, exactly what Jesus Christ said. Jesus Christ said, as in the days of Noah, as in the days of Lot, yes, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Luke 17, now we go back to these middle verses that we skipped before, and we see the comparison of today with the days of Noah and Lot. So verse 27, speaking of the days of Noah, and, it, and they did eat, they drank, they married wives, and they were given in marriage until, uh, the, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now look at verse 29. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire, brimstone from heaven, and destroyed them all. Okay, so that's what we find. So now the days of Noah... In the days of Lot, we find to be linked together with the same type of society that you had then as you have today. No one's concerned about the Lord Jesus Christ. Very few people, even those who name the name of Christ, are very are little concerned with his church, church attendance, being faithful to him, pleasing to him. They're putting him on the back burner, guys, and that's just the way it is. When we begin to compare our society with both the times of Noah and Lot, they link up together perfectly. And like I said, I said earlier, three decades ago, I could have preached this same sermon and did. Not the exact one, but I preached this whole thought. Just as applicable then as it is today, okay? It is applicable in our life because we know the intimacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not going to pretend today 
uh, to know the day or the hour of the Lord's return. No amount of Bible study will ever reveal that to a man. Anybody that ever says they've got extra revelation about anything, all right, mark him as a liar. No one's getting extra revelation outside of this scripture right here. And the scripture does not tell us the day nor the hour. As a matter of fact, it concludes the quite the opposite. The Lord does not want us to know. Why? If we knew the Lord was coming back in three years, two days, and three hours, mankind would wait until the last day to start doing things for him. Because it's our, that's our nature. That's our, if you, guys, if you give yourself eight days to do something, you'll take eight days to do it. If you'll just get busy and do what needs to be done and take care of the day, you'll get it done and you'll be productive. But I do know this, guys. I know for an absolute positive fact he's coming back, as the scriptures have told me. He's given us, I, I hate to use the word signs, but he has given us seasons. He has given us instructions. He has given us um, information to be able to recognize how our society is going to be. You read Romans chapter 1 and you think you're right slap in 2023. Okay? More than I ever in my life, more than I ever in my life believed. I can see it now. He's given the world to escape. He's given the world a way to escape. Just like he did in the days of Noah, just like he did in the days of Lot. He, he's given a way of salvation, just like he did in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And as far as the seasons go and the way society's running and the way our life is, there's been a day of judgment that's been listed. Now, we know that judgment upon this world is going to happen Seven years to the moment, to the hour, to the minute of the rapture of the church. So here's my question for everyone tonight, both online, listening to it later, and those in the church house tonight. Are you ready? The reason I ask that, are you ready by way of salvation? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Because guess what? If you're listening to this sermon tonight, and he comes back in the next second, and you ain't saved, you ain't going. And you're never going to have an opportunity to go. See, that's the, that's the misinstruction that these cults teach falsely about grace. When Paul addressing this same topic about end times, when he writes back to correct these people who have been ill-taught by the Judaizers, and we could call the Judaizers the high church of today, the lies that they teach. They tear revelation out of the Bible, say it's all metaphorical, Okay. Paul says this, very clear. And for, for this call shall send them strong delusion. That's speaking of those who have heard the gospel, who are alive after the rapture of the church. God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in righteousness. In other words, guys, you had your opportunity during the, uh, during the church age. You had your time to, to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now the time is up. Now the rapture's happened. You're out of gas. You won't even have a desire. Do you know the Bible talks about those in, in the, during the tribulation period that they the, all the plagues were sat upon them. They sought for the rocks to fall upon them to kill them, and death will escape them. And then the Bible says, and yet they repented not of their iniquity. They, they still had not a desire to repent, and they were suffering head and foot. So are you ready by the way of salvation? That's the question. People say, well, I always have tomorrow. That's the lie the devil has taught the world. 
greatest lie that the devil has taught society tonight is that you have tomorrow. My daddy taught me that tomorrow never comes. Secondly, tonight, guys, speaking to those who are saved, the Christians tonight, are you ready by way of watching? When's the last time you thought about the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ? When's the last time that you thought, man, I better watch and be sober. He'd come back right now. Or you scrolling, playing, doing whatever you do. I'm not speaking ill of those things, guys. I'm not telling you not to have downtime, and I'm not telling you to go out in your back garden and stare up into the sky. That's not what I'm saying. I'm telling you, you better occupy until he comes. There's a job that we have to do here. There's a job we have to do in this world, and our life needs to represent Jesus Christ as best as humanly possible, and we need to get the job done. Because he come back tomorrow, and it's all done. It's over with. Last chance, last opportunity to win somebody to Christ. One of the greatest mission, mission sermons I ever heard preached was, was in my, actually, my first mission conference as a pastor. I was 29 years old, and a dear friend of mine by the name of Humberto Gomez, Sr., he was the third one to preach that night, technically the second one, because little Tito, he didn't speak English. He spoke for about five minutes, and Humberto translated for him. But he preached a message titled, A Sad Story. And the sad story was in relation to the thief on the cross. Now, the first one that comes to your mind is probably the one that blasphemed Jesus Christ and went to hell when they died. That's not what he was talking about. He preached a sad story pertaining to the guy who did get saved. To the one who did say, you know, remember me in paradise. And Jesus says, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. He said, that's a sad story. And you say, how in the world is that a sad story? And Humberto made these points. He said, it's a sad story because that man never be able to go tell his mama about Jesus Christ. He'll never be able to go tell his daddy about Jesus Christ. He'll never have the opportunity to tell his friends, neighbors, co-workers, people he comes in contact with every single day about Jesus Christ. He'll never be able to support missions. He'll never be able to go to the house of God and fellowship and worship. But he's saved. But it's a sad story. So my question to us tonight, are we ready? Or is it going to be a sad story when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ? Are we ready? We say we are. But if we're, all, if we're honest with one another, we, we, we say that we are ready for him to come back selfishly because we just want to get out of the mess that this world's become. You know, God didn't wake up one morning and go, man, what was I thinking sticking Preston down there? Man, what's Kelton being alive now? I, I, thought I had him scheduled to be born back in 1920. He knew exactly where, where and when you were going to be born and where you're going to live and what you're going to do. He's omniscient. So it's not, a, it's not by happen chance you are where you are. It's not by happen chance that you have the people in your circle, in your life, today. So are you really ready for him to come back? Are you ready for that rapture to happen? Just because you want relief out of the world that's gone mad? We were given an opportunity. Guys, the mission field is coming to us in our country today. And we have an opportunity to be a witness to the lost and dying this evening, every moment, every hour, so we can truly say, Lord, I'm ready for you to come back.
you bow your heads tonight. Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and time to be here this evening. I ask of you, Lord, that if you will, you'd bless us. Take the teaching and preaching tonight, provoke our hearts, draw us back close to you. Help us really and truly ask ourselves this question. Are we ready for Christ to come back? Are we doing what needs to be done on a daily basis? And being a witness for you, serving you with fullness and serving you with gladness. Father, I thank you, Lord, for what you've done. I thank you for who you are. I praise your wonderful and precious name, but I simply ask you this evening, help us be mindful, Father, every day, every hour, every moment that we live, that is a gift from heaven. And what's going to matter when we get there is what we've done in this body that you've left us in. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.